going to have the reading now, and it can be found on page 973 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into that herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. But let's look to the passage that we have before us. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 8. And on the card, what we'd originally put as a heading for this um, is true, the power of Jesus over nature and evil. But as I looked at the passage in this latter part of Matthew 8, I thought it was more appropriate to put as a title, The Power of Jesus in the Storms of Life and Over the Demonic. And it's that that I more want to focus on this morning. But first, let's pray. Father, you know our hearts, you know our desires, you know our hopes for the future, you know us. And we recognise that only as your Holy Spirit opens our eyes and stirs us in our hearts and wills can we respond to your love and your power. So work in us by your Holy Spirit so that the words that we read here in Matthew's Gospel may ring true in new ways in our lives and in our experience. And may this be for our good and for your glory. Amen. It's, it's helpful to have an overview of, of the Gospel. We've looked at this in separate chunks, and uh, that's partly because it's a long gospel and we don't want to spend 
months and months and months on the same theme. But we've established in different ways, both on Sunday mornings and in the house groups, that uh, Matthew, who wrote it, was passionate about writing something with clarity that reflected his transfer from being a Jew to being a Messianic Jew, having discovered that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. But it wasn't just Jewish converts who read Matthew got Matthew's Gospel. Pretty well every Christian in leadership who could get a copy in the life of the early church got it, because it's hugely helpful for any of us, whether we come from a Jewish or a non-Jewish background, and most of us it would be the non-Jewish bit. So it's a book that had a huge impact, and part of it is because it's brilliantly constructed. It's put together where every detail counts. And uh, we've probably largely forgotten, but Matthew 4 has the episode of Jesus being tested in the wilderness by the devil. And that takes on another step of significance as we come to the last part of chapter 8. Because the uh, great passion that motivates Matthew is this. He's proclaiming the authority of Jesus over all the earth and over every people. And he builds up to the climax of his gospel quite deliberately in the final words of chapter 28, where Jesus says to the disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And on that basis, he says to them simply, go and make disciples of all nations. But the picture of who Jesus is builds up gradually as Matthew develops his gospel. And there are glimpses, chapter by chapter, which help us to see a more complete picture of who Jesus is. And we've got two of those episodes before us today. First of all, verses 23 to 27, Jesus calming the storm. Um, the Jews wouldn't have made very good Brits. British people um, love the seaside and we like boats and I suppose that comes in part from living on an island or a series of islands. Uh, the Jews of old didn't much like the sea and the so-called Sea of Galilee uh, is more often referred, for example, when Luke writes about it as a lake, because it wasn't much bigger than your average-sized Scottish lot, for example. Um, you could see across it and the length of it without too much difficulty. But um, it did have this characteristic. It was, as it were, home to freak storms that could catch the fishermen and the fishing industry, um, which was dependent on the lake, by surprise. 
And when those storms occurred, there could be big trouble. It's a bit like us in the south of England, having experienced in the last couple of weeks real snow, um, we, we get rather disturbed by it all and everything gets disrupted. I was up in Newcastle last weekend and uh, they just shrugged their shoulders and say, well, the trouble is you southerners don't know what real life is like. Um, but um, we do get caught out. Well, so did the Jews when the storms arose on the Lake of Galilee. But the point is that when Jesus and the disciples boarded the boat and began to cross to the other side of the lake, all is calm. And Jesus has just given a great deal of himself in meeting with people, in teaching, in sharing. And it's hardly surprising that he wants to take advantage of the trip to get a bit of a rest. And so he goes to sleep. But there's more to his sleeping than the disciples on the boat with him realise. Remember that the picture is only gradually unfolding. Uh, they've come down from the mountainside where he taught them how to live as Christians, to be countercultural, not just to copy the society around them, but to project the purposes of God in their lives and the way they behaved uh, to a very needy society that needed to know God. And as they came down from the mountain, they were full of questions. And only step by step did they see the answers to their questions. And it's much the same today. Who really is Jesus? How well do we know him? How much do we trust him? So there they are on the boat. It was a biggish affair. You could have between 15 and 20 people packed onto it if you wanted to, and normally the journey was quite safe. But suddenly a storm hits them, and they're fearful. And to make matters worse, Jesus was sleeping. And in verse 25, we're told the disciples inevitably went to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Now, these were hardened fishermen. They knew what these storms were like, but there was something about this particular storm which was far worse than their normal experience. But all Jesus does is, as it were, just get up from where he's resting, rebukes the winds and the waves, and it became completely calm again. The sense of awe of the disciples is beyond words. What kind of man is this? Verse 27. What kind of man is this? 
even the winds and the waves obey him. And they're getting further answers to their questions about him. Because you see, they know only God is greater than the forces of nature. God in Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the God-man, has that kind of authority over the storm. And it's awesome. And for Matthew, and for the first Christians reading his gospel, and across the ages, the storm has become a picture of the storms of life that we Christians face. I'm old enough to have gone to a Sunday school where we sang with great gusto, particularly the boys, a song that began, Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the winds unfold, their wings of strife. And we all waited for the chorus because you could really let rip as a group of boys. We have an anchor that keeps the soul. Anyone remember this song? Well, that's encouraging, quite a few people. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. We're fastened to the rock which cannot, be, cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. It's a great favourite um, from when it was written in the latter part of the 19th century, well in to the last century, and we used to love singing it. And it somehow fits in with what Matthew is telling us. His readers have to learn to trust in the power of Jesus as they and the church of which they form part is buffeted by hostility and often unbelief within its very nature. And the challenge for us today is that we must also trust in him. And there's a hint here in the first story that's presented to us by Matthew of what's to come next. Uh, when I look more closely, I realise that in verse 24, the word used isn't just a storm, it's the word seismos. It's what we use to describe an earthquake. So some mighty force has suddenly stirred up the lake into an unimaginable frenzy. And it's this that Jesus rebukes. Michael Green, in his commentary on Matthew, writes this. The inference is that the storm is yet another attack of the powers of darkness to snuff Jesus out before his work was done. Jesus discerned in and under the natural phenomenon 
of a sudden storm, the work of the devil. So it leads into verses 28 to 34, where Jesus restores to demon-possessed men. And uh, we have a problem almost straight away as sophisticated, secularised Westerners that our minds can't easily get to grips with what we're reading about here. I think it would be fair to say that disbelief in the devil is uniquely a characteristic of the West, and it's no coincidence that the church is in such deep decline in the West. There's a relationship there that we need to think about. For example, had Jesus been drowned in the storm, then the two demonically possessed men would not have been delivered and neither would he have died on the cross for our rescue. You see, they somehow sense, as often is the case with those who are exposed in a unique way perhaps to the force of evil, they somehow sensed that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. This was the Son of God. Hence verse 29, what do you want with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? There they were, you can picture it, eaten up by dark forces, living amongst the tombs, driven crazy by what was happening to them, and living hideously apart from the rest of society. People kept away from them. But they also knew that one day they would be defeated. How would Jesus respond? Significantly, he doesn't argue with them. There are times when uh, you keep your distance, if you're wise, from any real manifestation of evil. He simply utters one word of command, go, and they go, and they go into the herd of pigs, which then stampedes over the cliff edge and into the lake. And uh, we have yet another problem as Westerners, we get distracted by the pigs. What is going on here? Well, speak to me after the service if you want to know a bit more of uh, the possibilities. Were the pigs owned by Jews or non-Jews, etc.? But the, the pigs episode has as its main point not to help us to focus on farming and animals, but rather on Jesus, who's just calmed a seismic-style storm and now rescues two men who are of infinitely greater worth than a herd of pigs. 
people matter more than everything else in the world. So we're seeing in these two episodes, Matthew emphasizing the ultimate authority that God has over the natural world, as the Old Testament clearly teaches. But this authority is being exercised by Jesus. And we see also the ultimate power of God over evil, over the devil, over Satan. That's a power that's his alone. And we now see that being exercised by Jesus. Do you see the, the direction in which Matthew is taking us? And he also finds it hard to cope with this because as a Jew, he can't really believe that easily that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm tempted to be anecdotal. I shall resist the temptation beyond saying that if you have lived and worked in contexts where the demonic is active and visible, you'll appreciate the sense of awe and wonder that Matthew and the disciples felt as Jesus broke into that darkness and brought light. But more specifically, I want to finish with a verse, a Bible verse, and what I term a twofold reminder of how you and I are meant to respond to what we've been looking at this morning. Here's the Bible verse, and if you haven't got it marked in your Bible yet, it's a vital one to mark. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The reason why the Son of God appeared was to undo and do away with the works of the devil. That's not the whole story of the cross, but it's a vital part of our understanding of what happened when Jesus died. The reason why the Son of God appeared was to do away with the works of the devil. Jesus came to confront and defeat the work of the devil, and this he did through his death on the cross. The reminders that I want to leave with this come at the end of the chapter on the conquest of evil in John Stott's outstanding study on the cross of Christ. If you've not read that chapter in that book, read it. It is quite magnificent. And he ends up with these two practical observations. And like so many practical things, we think they're not quite so important as the theory. He tells us first that we're to resist the devil. Don't put yourself into the place of temptation where he can get at you. And he quotes 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. That's his first practical reminder where to resist the devil. And the second is this, the exact opposite. We are to proclaim Christ. If we're Christians, that's what it's about. And that's what Matthew's Gospel is about. He's leading us step by step to the very end of the Gospel, where Jesus tells the disciples they've got to meet up with him. Now he's risen. They've got to meet up with him in Galilee, and they do as they're told, and they go there. And when they saw him, Matthew tells us, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations and teach them to be obedient in everything that I've commanded you. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. So may God give to us today the will to resist the devil and the courage to proclaim Christ. Let's pray. Father, you know where each one of us is in our relationship with you. And like Matthew and the other disciples, we too have our unanswered questions. But help us day by day to trust you in the storms of life. And help us too, we pray, to know that the devil is a defeated foe. The victory has been won by our Saviour on the cross. So help us to resist him in the name of Jesus. And especially, Father, give us the, the courage we need, not just to live as Christians, but to speak out as Christians when the opportunity comes. Guide us by your Spirit. Strengthen us, and may the glory be yours. Amen.